You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. Well, you got me again. I'm flying solo. Matt's still recovering from his knee surgery. I think he'll be with us next week when we're going to have a special show for Martin Luther King Day. Uh, in the meantime, uh, like I say, I'm handling duties by myself and I'm pulling in another business partner here as we speak, Dan Keelan, uh, hey. who is, uh, the, well, he does many things with me. He's the publisher of the Michigan marijuana report. He helped me put together 420 posts, which is my Wednesday live show that we do on Facebook. Actually, that's doing really well. We're getting thousands of viewers on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I wanted to share with my Michigan technology news audience, I know a lot of you out there are taking a look at the cannabis market right now. It's a pretty thriving business. We had uh, the director of the Marijuana Regulatory Agency on my other show about a month ago. And he predicts, well, this year, this last year, we did about $750 billion, or $1 million, not billion dollars, $750 million. That's next year. Yes, next year. <laughs> next year, he thinks it's going to do at least $1.5 billion, and then the following year, double again to about three. So uh, what we try to do with the Michigan Marijuana Report is not really a consumer-focused vehicle, uh, digital publication. Uh, it's for business. And so that's that's what our focus is. And I wanted to bring Dan in because he has all these stats, which I have in front of me as well. And we've been doing it now for a little less than two years. In our first year, we were still kind of feeling out the market and they didn't right. know who we were. Right. And now it's starting to really take off nicely. Why don't you run through some of those numbers, Dan? Yeah. Um, well, let me, let, me, let me back up a little bit. So for those who, who haven't seen it, um, well, we encourage you to go to um, mimarijuanareport.com and to subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Uh, when when recreational cannabis was legalized uh, late 2018, uh, a couple months later, we launched the Marijuana Report. And, and the idea, as Mike alluded to, was a business publication, kind of a B2B focus, focused on, so how can you build up a new industry? in in the state uh and how do people that have been maybe even in the underground kind of version of the industry um turn it into a thriving business right um the funny thing is even though it was launched as um business to business we've done some surveys and there's a lot of interest across the board probably half our readers identify themselves as consumers of cbd or medical marijuana or a recreational and then the rest are, are the growing businesses and the people that support them. So um, we cover the industry in Michigan, the Midwest nationally, uh, and we focus on these businesses and then all the services around them, accounting, law, security. Um, and Mike's right. I mean, it's grown 
a lot. I just did a year over year comparison of the full year 2019 and the full year, the same period of time, 2020. And, you know, a, a 420% increase in, in audience. Um, and not only are the numbers going up, but we think the engagement's going up. So people are staying on the site uh, longer. Um, we get um, more and more inquiries from businesses that, you know, want to figure out how to work with us and how to kind of use us as a vehicle to connect them to other businesses in, in the industry. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's grown substantially in, uh, in the first, you know, I guess, 18 months. Yeah. And uh, so we've been trying to always innovate, come up with new things. Uh, the last July, we launched yep. uh, 420 Post yep. every other week in the beginning because it was summertime. We were kind of filling out that market, whether there'd be right. an audience for it. And we weren't sure how it was going to fly, for sure. But it, uh, it, it's, I mean, our show, the show with Andrew Brisbo drew 5,000 viewers live. Yeah, Darren yeah. McCarty. Yeah, we had Darren McCarty. Now, apparently there's some hockey fans out there in Michigan because that show drew 8,000 viewers. Yeah. Uh, and so we're pretty happy with that. Um, so now we're primed on uh, bringing in really good guests. Um, certainly we want to get there's probably a lot of people that are watching this or will watch this on demand. Uh, certainly we're always looking for news. So if you're cannabis business, whatever it might be, whether you're a grower, provisioning center, ancillary business, whatever the case may be, yep. we're interested in hearing from you. And then for the ones that are really making great news, then we'll get you on 420 posts as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, there's 15 states now where, where adult use medical marijuana, adult use marijuana is legal. And then there's like 42 where it's adult use and medical marijuana. So there's only right. very few that aren't. Right. I mean, so all the states in the most recent national election that had a, do we want to legalize cannabis? I mean, they all went, yes. I think it was six states that, that were added just in, in the last election. Um, you know, the other nice thing about, or the rich thing about this is it's not one thing. It's not whatever you think of. Uh, it's not pot, right? It's, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, it's hemp, it's CBD. Um, it's a, it's a very rich area to talk about. Um, and you know, part of the innovation for us came from, from the audience. So early last year, we started to do surveys uh, of readers to find out what more would you like? Um, and we heard a couple of things. And one of them was more on-demand audio and or on-demand video. And so part of the launching of the 420 posts came from the feedback we got from the audience uh, that, that they would like that, that they would tune into that. Um, so it, it, the show creates a nice streaming video component to what we were already doing with the marijuana report. Um, but it's not limited to Michigan. So the marijuana report tries to focus on the growing audience here. The 420 post has that kind of national um, potential um, so it's um, as the audience grows, I think the uh, I think the, the content that they were able to uh, cover grows as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, uh, again, we want to hear from you folks out there. And if, if you again, I know this audience for uh, M M Michigan Marijuana Report uh, is one thing, but this is the Michigan Technology News audience. And so. Right. 
a lot of you may be a little uncomfortable with that, but it is legal. Um, and certainly hemp is legal as well. There's a lot of farmers out there that are taking a real serious look at whether they should grow hemp. And mm-hmm. it's still a bit challenging. Uh, everyone's still, it's a brand new yeah. crop out there and everyone's yeah. trying to figure out how to do it and, and make a living. And then the other factor with hemp, <laughs> very strange factor, is if the THC level is more than one third of 1%, you have to destroy your crop. That's the Drug Enforcement Administration's arbitrary rule. Right. So right. with the Democrats now taking the the Senate, the U.S. Senate, um, there's a lot of talk about maybe a lot of these things will be changed because the Democrats, at least for the next two years, have the House, they have the Senate, they have the presidency. Yep. And so uh, Mitch McConnell was not a big fan of hemp and certainly isn't a big fan of uh, cannabis. Uh, and so we'll see what happens. I mean, it yep. could be could be an interesting two years. I'm sure it will be on so well, many levels. <laughs> well, yeah. And the and, and the politics are one thing. You know, I think, though, in, in terms of the business community, um, we're still hoping for because, you know, we're a news publication, but we're actually advocating for the industry that we're covering. We, we want these companies to succeed. Uh, it's no different than cheering on entrepreneurs. Um, and so the more, um, as an example, the more the federal level uh, banking laws change, uh, the better it's going to be for the industry in, in lots of states. So right now you've got very specific different rules state to state that we have to deal with. But as, as a, and maybe a new administration coming in will make a difference, but as, as legislation on a, on a national level uh, makes it easier that's part of the government's job, right? Make it easier for entrepreneurs to be successful. Uh, some, some missing legislation right now on a national level. Certainly the banking law is a, a good uh, starting point. Uh, it could make a difference. Yeah, well, the, right now uh, cannabis is a Schedule One drug along with heroin and cocaine and some of the other heavy-duty yeah. stuff, uh, which um, most people would agree uh, is outdated. And so the MORE Act was passed by the, uh, the Congress and by the House, in December, but it didn't go anywhere in the Senate. And that would uh, deschedule or reschedule uh, that drug. Because right now, because because it is a Schedule One drug, uh, you can't work with a major bank. You can't itemize deductions on your businesses. Uh, it's very challenging to run a business when you have to eat all your expenses and you can't put them on your taxes. And right. so everyone's hopeful that the MORE Act will be revisited. I'm sure in the first 100 days, Joe Biden has many other things that are more important. But at some point, yeah, maybe in a year or so, when everything settles down a wee bit, it, we may return to that. He's going to be uh, a little busy, I'm sure. But, you know, um, think about it from a non-cannabis point of view. If you were an entrepreneur in some other sector and you had to go to a specialty lawyer, and you had to figure out a way to get um, a, a debit card or or a merchant account, and, and it was and all of that was hard. Um, you you would hope that the industry that you're working so hard to be successful in could kind of go mainstream, and so I, I think I think we're heading that way, and hopefully we see more of that in in 2021. Yeah. Um, hey, if so, I can also uh, mention, there's some things that we're working on that aren't public yet that um, I just kind of want people to watch out for or, or contact me if you'd like to get involved. Um, I mentioned the survey that we did. Uh, we're turning that into a quarterly industry survey. Would certainly love to have all this cost money. Would certainly love to have some, some companies that want to sponsor that or help us um, promote that, that, that survey. 
Um, we're doing more with um, a kind of topic-specific webinars. So at least on a quarterly basis, you're going to see a Michigan Marijuana Report webinar um, on areas like, like law or areas like testing. Um, so th- those are coming. And we're at the beginning uh, stages of two other projects. Um, one is to launch um, an e-learning initiative uh, that provides people with um, training, uh, support, uh, and certification opportunities. Um, and so we see that rolling out in the first quarter, as well as a veterans initiative. So that's kind of our newest thing. But um, think about these businesses in, uh, in your community uh, giving back to veteran charities. Uh, veteran charities do a lot of good. Uh, veterans, uh, veterans have a lot of issues. Homelessness, joblessness, suicide, PTSD, lots of things that we think are uh, where we need to put our, our attention when we think about making our communities uh, healthier. Um, and so we're in the middle of a, a process where we're going to be able to connect uh, local dispensaries to, um, to the charities that are going to make a difference. So to more be, to come. Uh, yes, to be disclosed when we get all the uh, deals the done. We're very yeah. close to getting some deals done. So probably in February, we'll be able to announce that. Uh, in fact, I'm meeting with some people at, tomorrow, along with another partner, to do that very thing. Yep. So, yeah, lots of good stuff coming up. And, and Dan, uh, where can folks find out more information about Michigan Marijuana Report? Well, if you go to mimarijuanareport.com, uh, you'll, you'll see the website, you'll, you'll see the news there. Uh, at the very bottom is a link to our media kit. Media kit has a nice summary of everything we offer. Um, and for paid sponsors, it has an updated uh, pricing sheet. Uh, we actually right now uh, are offering all of that at last year's rates, probably through the end of January. Um, and, and again, just to maybe give uh, we know a lot of the businesses in, in Michigan, especially with the pandemic, have, have had a tough time uh, keeping it together. So uh, if we can if we can promote some of these companies, great. If we can give them a discounted rate uh, to sponsor the publication, we're we're happy to do that as well. Um, but all of that is uh, is on the website, or reach out to me, Dan at mimarijuanareport.com. And there you have it. Uh, we're going to go to commercial break. We'll be right back in about a minute or so. Thanks, Dan. And yes, Thanks, we'll be talking much this week, I'm sure. This is Mike Brennan. I've been watching MI Tech TV. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. 
And we're back. Uh, Mr. Matt uh, just had his second knee operation a week or so ago. I just talked to him before the show started. He's not up to joining us today. Hopefully he'll be joining us next Monday when we'll have a special show for Martin Luther King holiday. Uh, and uh, we're getting the guests lined up as we speak for that. But uh, have a, a long time. And whenever I say old friend with women, I get a lot of pushback. So we have a long time friend here, Michelle Gilbert. Geez, I've known you since way back in the PR days. Mark's Lane, I think you were at, weren't you? I was. That was my first job out of college. Yeah. And now she's the VP of communications for the uh, Comcast Heartland region, which is, if I understand it, is Michigan, Ohio, and parts of Kentucky. Actually, Indiana. Indiana. And I knew it was Kentucky. one of the southern yes. states, you know. Yes. So, okay. And uh, one of the things, um, there's been a lot of talk in the trade press uh, mm-hmm. and about uh, Comcast having rate caps. And I wanted to bring Michelle on to address that. She talked to me, well, we talked about it before she came on and assured me that, that was really not going to affect very many people. But since it's out there in the news and a lot of people use Xfinity or Comcast or whatever for various uh, internet needs and entertainment needs, I wanted you to be able to explain why this is out there and, and why people really shouldn't worry about it too much. Sure. Well, so the let me start with the idea of usage-based billing is that everyone pays for the amount of data that they use. And Comcast originally introduced usage-based billing here in Michigan back in 2016. And all of the plans came with a terabyte of internet data usage. That is a lot of data. And the vast majority of our customers never get even close to reaching that amount of data. Now, the reason it's made news lately is that we, in 12 additional states, they are putting in place usage-based billing where it wasn't in place before. So that received national headlines and became somewhat confusing for some of the other markets where this has already been in place. And it's most likely not impacting customers. I will also say that that terabyte of data data that we give in all of our plans uh, last year, particularly because of the pandemic, we increased the tier to 1.2 terabytes of data. And again, that's even more data. And the vast majority of our customers don't even come close to hitting it. You used a good analogy for me when we were discussing it before we did the this interview. I think you could stream for 18 hours a day, every day, yeah. and still not reach that cap, right? Exactly. So here are some of the things you could do with 1.2 terabytes of data. And this is not cumulative, but Pick one category, but it, it's the extremes just to show you how much data it is. You could stream about 500 hours of HD video in a month. Uh, you could video conference for close to 3,500 hours in a month. Um, watch nearly 1,200 hours of distance learning videos on Seesaw or Google Classroom. I'm sure your kids would not be happy if you forced them to do that. Well, I think that's um, about right. 1,200 hours is what they should be watching, right? So. <laughs> That's probably what they're going to need to catch up after this yes, crazy yeah. year. <laughs> um, play more than 34,000 hours of online games or stream more than 21,000 hours of music. So again, nobody's really doing all of that in one month. Um, certainly not cumulative. So it gives you an idea of just 
how much you can do with that kind of data. Okay. So, uh, but uh, again, uh, I, I won't name the publication, but I flagged you on it because I saw it through my news feed, yeah. and which sure. brought me, I wanted to get clarification from you what that meant for we folks here in the, in the heartland. And right. uh, but it's mostly the New England states that are going to that, if I call, wasn't it? Yes, I think it's about 12 states on the northeast side of the U.S. that are going to be transitioning to what we have already had in place. And, you know, let's talk, though, because there are some customers that do hit this this level of data usage. And so what does that mean for them and for your viewers? If you are one, you already know it. So here's the deal. First of all, we offer customers a courtesy month. So sometimes an anomaly happens. Maybe you're working from home, you've got kids learning from home, you hit that usage and you're surprised. So we give our customers one month where we don't charge them overage. If it continues to happen, there are a few different things. First of all, our customers can choose an unlimited plan. And for most of our customers that are already leasing their Xfinity gateway, Adding that unlimited plan as part of what we call our XFi Complete Package is only costing you an extra $11 a month. Okay, I guess most people could handle that, right? Like 30 Um, cents a day or something, right? Something like that. You know, I mean, we certainly not passing judgment and we absolutely work with our customers, particularly during this very difficult time. But, um, you know, when you're using that much data, you see the value and what you're being offered. And, uh, you know, typically an $11 extra a month is not a lot of money when you're relying on your internet that much. Sure. Okay. I do a lot of... uh shows every week but i don't think i get near the cap here at all uh you know we we do four shows a week including this one so and then uh, it seems like i'm on zoom all day long with some meeting somewhere doing something you know so well and mike that actually proves the point you're a heavy data user you rely on video streaming a lot which is the biggest form of data consumption and you're not hitting your cap you would know if you were yes and you can Yeah. And you can easily check how much data usage you are, in fact, using by going into your account. It'll tell you. And then also there are notifications that are proactively sent to you so that if you reach, say, 50 percent of that 1.2 terabyte or 75 percent and then at 90 percent, you're notified so that you can get yourself on that unlimited plan. Okay, sounds great. So uh, a couple of things you want to talk about, uh, since we have largely a business audience, let's talk about yeah. some, uh, some of the plans that you have available for business. Sure. So, you know, this pandemic, um, and actually more than just the pandemic, 2020 was a difficult year for a lot of different businesses. Um, but um, diverse businesses were hit especially hard. I should say diverse owned businesses were were hit especially hard. And so last year, Comcast developed a program called Comcast RISE. And RISE stands for Representation, Investment, Strength, and Empowerment. And what we're looking to do is to help uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color-owned small businesses with some additional support. And there's a lot of different ways in which we are providing that support. Some of it comes in the form of grants, which is important, but we're also lending our expertise, providing technology makeovers, for example, 
through Comcast Business um, to businesses so that we can help them, get them the tools and the resources they need to help them survive during this very difficult time. Okay. What else you got? What else? Um, well, for everybody to know, you know, um, if you were continuing to support our customers in many different ways through COVID-19, and if you are an Xfinity customer, um, well, actually, I should say, even if you're not an Xfinity customer, we have opened our 1.5 million hotspots across the United States to anyone to rely on to, again, help with that connectivity to be so that everyone can stay connected wherever they are. This is a service that is free to all of our Xfinity internet customers, but we've opened it through the pandemic to non-customers so that they can stay connected as well. And you guys also offer your own uh, uh, mobile phone service as it were, Wi-Fi service where you actually supply the phones. And I don't currently use that, but I know you've talked to me about it, but why don't you talk about it? So, yeah, so Xfinity Mobile launched a couple of years ago, and it's available as a value add for Xfinity Internet customers. And what it, in essence, does is um, it's combining the nation's largest 4G LTE network. I'll let you determine whose network that is, as well as our Wi-Fi network and giving you the best of both worlds. Um, It's a great way for our Xfinity customers, internet customers to find more value and to save a couple dollars on their overall technology needs. I know that we use it in our family and I've got both of my daughters on unlimited plans because Lord knows they use a lot of data. Yes. Yes. Teenage girls, right? Oh my God. Lots of communications there, right? Two teenage girls. Yes. It's uh, quite the challenge. <laughs> okay. And so any other things coming up this year? What, what, what do you see for 2021? Let's just get past the COVID stuff because we don't know what that's going to be. But in terms of what you guys are doing at Comcast or Xfinity, where do you see this all going in 2021? Sure. Uh, You know, we're continuously looking at product evolution, um, providing more value for our customers, um, streaming options for all of our Xfinity Internet or I'm sorry, our Xfinity video customers. You should check out um, Peacock, the streaming service. You get it for free. So we're constantly looking at ways that we can provide more value. I think you're going to see some announcements coming out regarding some grants that we'll be giving to worthy nonprofit organizations. Um, And uh, probably you'll see some speed increase announcements coming out uh, sometime in the future. Yeah, a lot of people are moving. The the cable approach has been for as long as it's been around the bundled approach where you get 200 channels or something or other. (laughs) Now all about, including me, are moving towards is, all right, I still need that internet, but I want to pick and choose on these various streaming applications that are out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not alone, right? You're seeing that with a lot of people? Oh, yeah. No, you're not alone at all. And, and that's why we built the Xfinity X1 platform it, to serve as an aggregator so that it makes it easier for our customers to find what they want, where they want, and when they want to watch it. So even if you don't want to subscribe to TV service, you can get what's called our flex plan that costs you 
nothing extra, but it gives you that Xfinity remote. It gives you that X1 platform so that you can easily find what you want and you can aggregate all of your different streaming services on the largest screen in your house. Okay. Yeah. And uh, any other last words? We've got about a minute left before we wrap up. Any other thoughts about you want to throw out there to the audience, what you guys are up to this year or anything? Oh gosh. Um, I, I think we covered quite a bit and I not sure I know any other trade secrets to share that wouldn't get me in trouble at this point, Who but I, we tell? <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, so. Yeah, but I um, absolutely, the other thing I can say that we're doing um, is uh, we're building what we're calling lift zones in neighborhoods like Detroit, where people are um, maybe for whatever reason, they don't have internet at home. So we're building lift zones in community centers so that kids can get online. People who are looking for jobs um, can get online in a, and have reliable internet in a safe environment. Yes, I've seen numbers. I'm not sure how current they are, where 40 to 50 percent of the folks in Detroit do not have access to the Internet. It might even be higher than that. Yeah, I'm not sure if that is a if that statistic is accurate. But I do know that there are a lot of reasons why, um, you know, in urban areas, impoverished areas that um, people, even if they have the ability, Ability to get internet in the home, they choose not to. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. And that was part of why we formed our Lift Zone project. Okay. So Michelle, when, when folks want to find out more about Comcast, Xfinity, where do they go? Uh, I would tell people go to Xfinity.com or for businesses, go to ComcastBusiness.com. Okay. Michelle Gilbert, Vice President of Communications uh, in the Heartland region for Xfinity Comcast. This is Mike Brennan. We're going to go to commercial break. We'll be right back. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Think, uh, there we go. Hey, so uh, Fred Brown has joined us again. He's our epidemiologist. And while well, we were trying to talk over the commercial, so uh, which slides did you want to show us, Fred? I well, I was wondering if I, have I already shown you guys a discussion about the mutation in any in any detail? Have uh, I you yeah, we areas? covered that somewhat last week. What you told us is you were doing a presentation to Harvard on Sunday, and you were going to share some of that with us. That's right. I can. I just wondered which parts I'd already shared. What have what I haven't? I know I showed you uh, the results of the clinical trials, but yeah. I don't know if I've shown you um, about the mutation. Uh, uh, and so, just remind, just recall that does does this slide? Um, Oops, look familiar to you? Yeah, I think we, Dave. I know you're watching this too. I think we saw this last week, didn't we, Dave? 
Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I think we've already seen that. We talked okay. about mutations last week. And we talked about the spike protein. Good. Yeah. And antigenic drift. Do we talk about, um, do we talk a little bit about um, achieving herd immunity and the path to herd immunity? I don't know if we got into that very much. We could, let's go into that. And then uh, we can talk a little bit about, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was so busy on this other stuff that I, um, uh, we, do we talk about production at all? Do we talk about the production capability? Uh, not really. Oh. No, we. Uh, I know that. Go ahead. So th- maybe we want to talk a little about this. and Because th- you sent me a note about mutations and how it looks like we're going to be safe for a while. I said, oh, maybe I haven't told you about talking about mutations. No, you, you, mutations was more last week. You were going to follow up in more detail this week with what we didn't get to last week. So. Perfect. So with that, um, with and we talked, did we, did we talk about uh, bottlenecks in the distribution system yet or not yet? Probably not. No, I don't think we did. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about that then. How does that That's sound? the most current one. For instance, uh, me being an older gentleman, I was supposed to sign up this week at the U of M uh, to start to get my vaccine, and they alerted me today saying they didn't have enough, and they had to give the second dose to everybody first, and then they'd get back to us later. So the bottleneck is here. Did I talk about AstraZeneca at all? Do you remember how I talked about AstraZeneca and the Great Britain? Uh, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Okay, we talked about that. So let's let's talk about the bottleneck. How does that sound? Sure, because everybody wants to get that vaccine, and they're all asking, when can that happen? So why don't we um, – now, it's interesting that you know, the University of Michigan got to you and said, we're so sorry, but, um, uh, but no, we're, we're so sorry, but we don't have enough. Right. Um, and that's, that's interesting. It turns out um, that we've given about 7 million – doses of the vaccine, uh, but we have made almost 50 million doses of the vaccine, hmm. which means that somehow we've lost <laughs> we've lost 40 million doses of the vaccine. Not lost, but it's still there and, and not, not being used. And it's not, you know, and uh, so people are worried about the fact um, that, um, that you know, we're, we're, there's something wrong, right? There's something wrong when you can produce a lot more than you're actually delivering. And the question is, where is the bottleneck? And um, so well, there, there are three po- possible options, right? The first is, is that our goals are just too high, right? We just, we're being lofty and we're communicating. We think we can do a billion of these things. And it's interesting, the manufacturers have said that by next, but by, the, by, by June, July, their target is to reach 100 million doses uh, per manufacturer uh, per year. So that's, and those, those are the four manufacturers of AstraZeneca, who already have that capacity in place, Johnson & Johnson, who has 60 million doses a, a year in place, and will be pretty easy to, you can imagine that, you know, uh, starting to grow fast. Then we've got Moderna, who's starting off new, uh, but is you know, got some experience, but it's first time commercializing. And then we have Pfizer, who also, you know, has, uh, a, you know, in that technology they're currently using, they've got a billion doses a year they could do. They have to switch some capacity, but they could get there pretty well, too. So we've got the Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and J&J all trying to reach 400 million doses by June, and mm-hmm. they think they can do it. Now, the pro- so, so the, the issue is, you can see where our goal was 20 million uh, for the month of December. We actually shipped 12 million, um, so we didn't ship enough. And then we only injected 2.7 million people with the 12 million that were available. So that's uh, discouraging. And the question is, um, uh, why? 
And the answer looks like there are three critical areas. The first big area is manufacturing. Could we have constrained raw materials? It's a complicated process. We don't have very much experience. We've got to do all sorts of uh, agreements with the FDA. Of the regulators, a lot of these uh, uh, systems are cobbled together from different manufacturers. Moderna doesn't have that much of their own capacity, so they're using Lanza and others to help them. So that could be one big area where we're not, you know, we're we think we can manufacture more than we can. Uh, the second big area, of course, is distribution. And um, interestingly, uh, there we, we I, do, I think we are having a problem. Uh, there's a lot of bureaucracy in the allocation. It was good that University of Michigan got back to you, but the reason that you were said no to is, is not because we don't have some doses there. It's because you're not eligible yet. They, they said, oh, you know, we've done all the, you know, we've got our, our bunch of stuff from uh, the, 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 uh, the, the United States federal government, uh, and we received you know, a certain number of doses, um, and it's literally in the millions now how much we've received in Michigan. But we now have to reallocate that in the state. And the state has its own special allocation algorithm. And in fact, uh, they've, they've since, they've reduced it from a 70, uh, 75 plus to a 65 plus. So that's why you were suddenly included. But now they're realizing, oh, we can't quite reach all the people we wanted to. And, that, and, the, and, the, and so they're setting those letters. So um, the, the biggest issue we've got, I think we'll see is in the vaccination site, the vaccinator sites. We're, don't, we're just not used to having to do mass vaccinations. Uh, and then the last issue we'll, we'll talk a little bit about is, t is communications. We just aren't communicating well within the supply chain to alert people what supply and demand is. And so we got lots of supply, and we don't understand where the inventory levels are at each of the demand areas. Our cycle times are too slow. And then, of course, we've got communication generally. Um, uh, and that's uh, a big area that's going to be of concern. We may or may not get that to, that to that today. But at any rate, we can see that Joe Biden has said he wants to actually inject 100 million doses within the first 100 days. So that's a million doses a day that we have to be able um, uh, to do. And um, wow, you know, right now we're about 350,000 doses a day. <laughs> well, we got a ways to go. To go. <laughs> we got a National Guard out, right? <laughs> and you can see in order to do this, in order to kind of flatten out that curve, you know, the goal is 100 million. The manufacturers, we think, are going to be about 200 million uh, 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 to, to be able to produce about 200 million uh, per year uh, at that point uh, by April 30th. And uh, we think that we'll be on a, on a, on a course of, of being able to uh, actually inject about 75 million people. So we're going to be uh, now if everything goes perfectly. <laughs> and we're able to get and we're able to get CVS and Walgreens ramped up and going and really going fast. Everyone going and running to the right pharmacy at the right time and all that. We could be up to 125, but it's going to be tight. You know, it's going to be really rough. So that's where we think we are right now. And let's take a look then at the different processes. Let's take a look at manufacturing. So this the manufacturing. This is what manufacturing looks like, and it is extremely high tech, and it's very hard to scale. And it's very hard to control, and it's very hard to get consistent yields because it's all biological. These are all living cells that are producing this stuff. It's not, you know, chemical synthesis. You you mix X and Y at a certain number, and you and you stir it up a little bit and heat it and throw in some uh, some some new chemicals and water and solvents, and all of a sudden you get a product that you know with a known yield. In this case, it's sort of black magic, right? So step one, interestingly, is you've got to create a DNA template because you're trying to make RNA. The RNA comes in over the top of the DNA, 
heat produces itself and then skips off. So you have to make just the right template that allows the right RNA to actually be produced. And so if you look at what they're doing in uh, at Pfizer, that's across the top, step one, step two, step three, step four. That's what Pfizer's doing. And their first step occurs in St. Louis, Missouri. They got a big manufacturing plant over there and it's a big cell culture. They manufacture all these cells that are producing the right DNA. Then they have to purify all those cells and just pull out the DNA. And then they have to linearize it. They have to actually flatten it out so that it reproduces well and is ready to go. And that's very, very fragile stuff, right? We're talking about DNA. It's, it's barely even holding together with Vanderwall forces. And here you are trying to ship it across to Andover, Massachusetts. Whew, right? And now you got to actually make mRNA. You haven't made the mRNA. All you've made is the precursor for it. You made sort of the mold that it's going to fit on top of that. Now you have to you know, allow, you have to put on all the right uh, material in it. And then you, the DNA then produces the mRNA. And then, um, and that's, again, kind of black magic, producing just the right amounts and making sure it all works uh, appropriate. And then, you got, then, then the mRNA is very fragile, right? So you got to cap it. Then we cap that um, with a five prime capping uh, technology that's, been established, but it's only if you know it's five, ten years old, and we also have to make sure there's no going to be no autoimmune reactions. So we've actually replaced all the uracils in this in, in in this RNA, which is down on the bottom of the page. You can see how how, how beautiful that is, right? It's just very precise. We've we've placed all the uracils with pseudourophils, so your body doesn't react uh, too extremely to the to the uracil, and it also stabilizes it a little bit. And every one of those uh, DNA boxes has to be the amino acids have to be perfect. Anything, anything that's wrong is going to produce the wrong protein. So everything has to be perfect. All those bonds have to be just right. Then you've got some, then you've got the, and it's very fragile. So you've got to put a polyadenosine tail on the back end of it. And that then stabilizes it. So, and then you got to get rid of all the DNA templates, right? You got, so you got to purify all that. And that's hard to do because it's you know it's linked there together, and so you're trying to you know purify all the stuff. Then you got to make sure you got just the right stuff, not the wrong stuff, because you know it could have mis mis uh, could be mis mis miscoded, and huh. and then there you are in Andover, and you got to ship everything to Kalamazoo, and this yep. stuff is again really fragile, right? So it's you know flash frozen, shipped over to Kalamazoo, and then Kalamazoo said says, oh great, we got the mRNA, now we've got to encapsulate it. And so that round piece in the, on the right-hand side, that's the encapsulation. Hmm. And so you're adding the, 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 the peg, this is, that's a polyethylene glycol uh, phospholipid piece, plus the cholesterols in just the right amount so that it stabilizes the, 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 the peg. And then you got the phospholipids and the, uh, the ionizable lipids have to encircle each of those DNA strands uh, to make sure that they're protected so that they, oh, in your body, they don't get immediately dissolved. The mRNA is very fragile. And they can slip through the cellular membrane into your into your cells, and then start to do their magic. Hmm. And to do that is really complicated. I mean, you know, it has to be just the right size. If it's too big, it gets caught up by the liver. It gets too small. You get you know, the, 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 then the body doesn't see it. So it's got to be just the right size. It's got to have just the right amount of protein. Right, otherwise you're going to overdose or underdose people. And it is it is a, a challenge. And then you, and then it's super fragile. So then you got to you flash freeze all that. This and then and it's got to be perfectly sterile at this point, right? Because you don't want to have any other bacteria in there. You're growing it in media. All of a sudden, you're going to get all sorts of contamination if you allow that that to come in. So you got to make sure it's all sterilized, all purified. Everything's wonderful. 
And unfortunately, Catalyt, who uh, didn't even pass their sterilization test uh, by, by the FDA, so they had, had to go back and redo stuff. Sterilization is really tough to do. I don't know if you've ever been in a, you know, in a high-tech facility where you have to make everything sterilized. you got negative pressure. Everyone's wearing you know, uh, uh, big white suits with big goggles. And you, know, you, you can't touch loud, uh, any metal to touch any other metal. You've got to have perfectly pure, pure water. I mean, everything's got to be so, just so. And all these processes are brand new. So we're training all these people and trying to get them qualified. And the FDA is coming in, taking a look, saying, no, not quite. And you're going, oh, my God, I got to produce, you know, 500, my 100 million doses. <laughs> and then you go back and you can rec- and, and so this is high tech. I mean, we're talking about as, high, as complicated as it gets, right? Uh, so uh, and it's all done by living organisms. So it's, it's, it's you know, uh, which are, you know, fidgety, <laughs> frankly. <Yeah. laughs> So the and, the and then the other problem is, of course, you could have raw material problems because the we, we were kind of scaling up for doing you know cell and gene therapies in this technology. We we weren't ready to do. We, so we were sort of doing you know four four hundred people a year, five hundred people a year. All of a sudden, we're doing okay. Can you just do seven billion, please? <laughs> so we were looking at the raw material, going, "Oh my God, how are we going to go all the raw material?" Right. So it's a lot of work, a lot of scale up. We're getting to. Um, and there's adjuvants. We've got some, now. This, now, what's interesting about the mRNA stuff is it's extremely pure. So you, you know, if people are worried, is this halal? Is this you know, is this have a problem or anything? The answer is no. All you've got in this thing is a little strand of mRNA, which is which is basically manufactured. It's synthetic, plus some salt, some water, some fat. Um, and that's about it. You know, mm-hmm. you're done. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's extremely pure. Uh, no, 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 no uh, preservatives. There's no adjuvants. There's nothing that, you know, accelerating or decelerating the, 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 uh, in your body. Everything is completely natural uh, with the exception of the little mRNA strain, you know, uh, which is in your body for 24 hours. It escapes your body and then you're producing, you, you know, your antibodies for about 36 hours and then the whole thing's over. You're all done. So that's what this whole thing looks like. Uh, and so the, um, uh, so that's the reason it has to be frozen because there's no preservatives in this thing. <laughs> ah, I was going to ask about that 70 below zero centigrade thing. And that's what it is. Huh? That's what it is. There are no preservatives. So, so it's oh, super yeah. fragile stuff. All can break apart. You can't even, you're not even supposed to stir it. You're supposed to shake it slightly. No, no I'm sorry. Stir it, but not, 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 not shake. I mean, it's shaking, not stirred. Right? We talked a little bit about that. I mean, that's right. James Bond would love right, that. Just the right amount of my, 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 <laughs> well, agitation, just the right amount of thawing. You're allowed to keep it for five days after you open it up. That's it. You got to be, you know, you got to go through about 7,000 doses uh, in, in five days. And so that's the next problem, right? That's the distribution question we got is, gosh, you got to have sites that are able to do 7,000 doses in five days when you open the pack. Where do you, you know, that, that's a lot of doses. If you go to a local Walgreens and say, you know, <laughs> you're going to be lining up outside for a long time waiting for your 7,000th dose to go through in a week. That's, yeah. that's a lot of doses every day with the pharmacist, you know, working hardy hard. they got other stuff to do, frankly. So that's the pro- that's one of the problems we're having. So anyway, I hope you understand just how kind of magical uh, this technology is, right? It's, it is very cool and, uh, you know, super high tech, but we're just getting our arms around it and we're just starting to scale. So we, you know, and the problem is that if you look at rolling out, we are very, very sensitive to any, any, uh, any slowdown in manufacturing. If that happens, death rates just skyrocket because we're in a really bad time right now. So we really have to make sure we don't have any problems with the manufacturer value. And luckily we're keeping up right now. 
We'll see how distribution goes. Yeah. Here's sort of what it looks like. We think, uh, well, if you talk to the manufacturing guys, they say that in December they're going to do about 10 million, and they did about 10 million. In January they'll do about 35 million. Uh, uh, this is uh, this is doses, right? This is how many people you've done so far. And that little black box, that little 21, 25, 67, those are the number of people who are actually immunized at the, t- at the point. Hmm. Uh, so you can get a sense of just how slow the immunization goes. Uh, those are millions of people, so it's good. But uh, compared to the number of people we're vaccinating, Moderna's shot takes um, uh, about, excuse me, takes six weeks uh, for it to really be fully effective. Right? You take that first shot, you wait four weeks, take another shot, and you wait two more weeks, and then you're fully immunized. With, with Pfizer, you wait 21 days after the first shot and one more week after that, and then you're fully immunized. So it's, the Pfizer goes faster than Moderna. It's a month cycle, Moderna's a month and a half. And you can see that here we go, we're lining up, and all of a sudden in March, Johnson & Johnson joins the, joins the fray. And Johnson & Johnson is a big operation, and they're using traditional technology they already have pretty well scaled. So they, they think they can get to 60 million a month really fast. So I, we gave them credit for 30 million a month. Uh, and you can see that as a result of, you know, by the time we reach March, we think we might be, you know, if, if everything uh, goes to the manufacturer schedule and distribution is able to keep up, which is a big if, 140 million people. That's a lot of people uh, who at least have one shot. And then we can go to a second shot uh, 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 in the next month. And so by the end of May, we're talking about possibly having, uh, you know, 200 million people uh, at least uh, vaccinated um, uh, with, a full, with, a, with, a, with a partial dose. So that's, that's a lot, which is great. The issue is that you can see that right now children are out of the mix. They haven't been tested yet. We're not sure if it's safe. We're not sure if it's, if it's, if it's efficacious. Children's immune systems are different than adult immune systems. We actually have to go through the test and do what we call the bridging studies to see whether or not we have the same kind of results. So with those uh, trials are underway, we should know more April-May time frame about the children. And you can see that without the children, we, we actually need to get to a pretty high level of immunity. And, you know, uh, you sent me that article uh, out of uh, MIT Press, which I had reviewed. I'd seen the original article on science uh, mm-hmm. from uh, the, uh, out of San Diego, the immunology uh, group in, in, in San Diego, Cassie's group. And um, they think that it's very stable. And they came out with their uh, result out of looking at 185 uh, different patients, which then supplemented the work that had been done out of the UK, which indicated that there probably was chances of slippage. Um, so we've got now two reports. One was the report uh, from uh, early on, which was just as a result of phase one studies where, you, where we had some pretty good results, but it wasn't over time. Now the San Diego material actually comes after eight months and they're saying, hey, we're not seeing that much. We're not saying, we're seeing durability for an eight month period. Um, the, the worry we had with the UK pop, uh, group was that we saw the big boost that you saw, and then it, d- it waned very, very rapidly. But it turns out the waning process isn't too worrisome as long as you, you're not waning on the wrong things. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, as long as you keep the right neutralizing antibodies there, you can wane all you like with the rest of the antibodies. If you have the right couple of neut- neutralizing ones, that's enough sometimes for a good immune response. And that's, so that, that was good news that came out of San Diego that kind of supplemented what the UK had come up with. So, hey, we're waiting. a lot of antibodies are waiting. Now we know much more about what's required for neutralization. They applied that here in San Diego. They said, hey, things are looking pretty good. We're pretty durable through eight, an eight-month period for 185 patients. That's only 185 patients. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it's a start. 
And it's a good sign. So we'll take it, right? The issue we've got is that as you add, so now suppose you take out all the, all the children. That's 65 million people gone. And then you're down to a herd immunity level that's actually below what we need. Uh, we actually, we, out of the 330 million people we've got in the United States, um, according to what we've seen in the field, now herd immunity is something that is quite variable. We kind of try to figure it out after the fact. And it's required, mm-hmm. it does require a vaccine. And what we found in the field is that we think, given where COVID is, and that it's mm-hmm. asymptomatically trans- transmitted, uh, it uh it, it, it's very different in the way it affects different people. So young people aren't affected like old people are from it uh, because it, you don't require physical contact. Uh, and because it's so prevalent in our, in our environment, herd immunity for us is going to be very hard to achieve. I, I can't emphasize this enough. In theory, because we have an R value and the R basically it's one over one minus R is the formula for herd immunity. Um, that, that, um, uh, when, when when you actually do all the math, in theory, if you have a 2.5 uh, R, then you need a herd immunity level of 56%. So 56% of the people need to be vaccinated, 44% can remain unvaccinated, and still be protected by the 56%. Now that requires perfection, right? It means that everyone's completely, that everyone is, you know, every other person literally <laughs> that you meet is protected or unprotected. You know, it's a perfect matrix. Um, but we can't do that. And what we found is that People, the countries that are remaining are going to normalcy generally have uh, reduced have a have a um, uh, have a kind of protection level of about eighty two percent. So if you look at Taiwan, if you look at South Korea, if you look at Australia, they're at about eighty two percent. And so I think with our vaccine, we're going to have to get to about eighty two percent immunization for the existing variants that are out there uh, in order to be protected. Now, unfortunately, the UK and South Africa, as I reported last time have found some really deadly variants, much, much more transmissible and quite a bit more um, aggressive uh, for young people than, than the original in the case of South Africa, hmm. than our original virus. What's interesting about viruses, is they come and they go. The first mutation that we had in Wuhan, those, 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 uh, those viruses are already gone. That, what we're fighting today is a very different virus than, than what we originally thought in Wuhan. That's the way that viruses are. So, um, if you look at the new R0, the new uh, reproductive rate of this new variant, we think we're going to have to get up to close to 300 million people or 90% of the population to really, until we really all can go say, you know, we, got, we, we killed that one off. Um, and that's hard to do because you can see all uh, the anti-vaxxer organizations in the United States already claim 30 million people. They mm-hmm. have children that's going to get us to, you know, 40 million people who don't want to be vaccinated and are going to actively resist. And then you've got 65 million people who don't, who believe that COVID really is a hoax and we don't really want to do that anyway. And it's a big problem and it's a pain and it's interfering on individual liberties. So they're angry, angry, angry people and they don't really want to get vaccinated either. So we're sitting here needing to get to 300 million and we're probably only be able without a lot of convincing and, and support, we're probably not going to be able to get much more than 200 million Hmm. people vaccinated. And that puts us at a lot of risk. There's a gap there that we're that we're very concerned about. So at any rate, this is what uh, what the supply is going to look like if everything goes well with manufacturing. And you can do all the math, and you can see. And, and there's been a there's been a discussion: should we go to one dose? Should we go to two doses? Right? And that was what happened to you. What happened to you was they said, "We're very sorry, uh, but we have to for everyone who's taking a dose, we have to put a dose on reserve." And therefore, Mike, we can't we can't do you. 
we're going to we have all this stuff on. We got enough. We got enough plenty of vaccine. We just don't want to, uh, you know, make a mistake and not be able to vaccinate the people who are done first. Well, mm-hmm. if you look at the supply, that manufacturers are all saying we're going to make this. You know, we're going to be okay. Go ahead and do, use that sec that second dose for Mike because we're going to by the time you know the real second dose is required in twenty one or twenty eight days, we're going to be way up on the manufacturing scale. And we'll have enough for you. Plus, we'll be able to, you know, vaccinate Mike and all people in his cohort. Um, and so, it's a question whether you believe that first of all, and then you got to figure out, um, you know, what the effectiveness difference is, right? Mm-hmm. So, if the effectiveness difference is fifty-eight percent or more, that means that if after a first dose you're protected fifty-eight percent, mm-hmm. you know that for two doses you're protected ninety-five percent. But after the first dose, we're not so sure. We've done we've done the data work. And unfortunately, it's not terribly statistically significant. What we did is for Pfizer, we actually looked at, at what happened to uh, people who were between doses, right? So there's a group of people who said who and uh, who didn't take that second dose. They just missed the time frame, about one percent, two percent. And so you have a few hundred people who were on the dose who um, who who only took one dose all the way through, and we can actually see what happened to them. And for those people, they were 82 percent protected. Hmm. Not bad. Great. The issue we had was we also, at a statistical level, we looked at a lot more who were between dose one and dose two. At that point, you only had one dose until you took the second dose. Almost everybody, 98% of people who are on the the drug, actually, and that's, you know, probably close to 30,000 people total. Um. Go ahead, take that call. No, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no, no, not important. Uh, you guys are much more important. So um, these people took the first dose. Then they went ahead and they looked and saw who got infected between that between that 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 that, that twenty one or twenty eight day period between the first and second dose, and mm. they found that in that case you are only fifty two percent protected. Mm. So in that early frame, that twenty one day frame, you only had. 52% effectiveness. And if that is the real number, then we're going to, it is better. It's by, by about uh, 8.2 million people to vaccinate two people. But if it's more like the 82% that Pfizer was saying, then we could save an additional 33 million. So that's sort of the, the balance that we're doing here. Do we believe they can man- manufacture enough? What do we believe? Is it 52 or is it 82 and then if, uh, depending on what side of the equation you're on, you're, you're going to say, hey, we're going to kill 8,000 8, extra people by letting Mike take his dose now. Or we're going to say, hey, we're going to save Mike and 33 million more people because we let them take the first dose without I worrying like about the second, second. option. Yeah, you like the second one, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to save Mike, you know? We're going to save Mike. Right. So that's, that's sort of the argument. And it is a tough argument. And uh, it looks like Joe Biden wants to do the – the good news is it looks like Joe agrees with you. He wants to save you. Uh, but what's going to probably happen is we're probably going to take a little bit of a an insurance policy. And the insurance policy is going to be, we'll give Mike his first dose, but it could be that Mike has to wait because he's a healthy, younger guy compared to the, everybody else in the cohort who may be over 75 with lots of multiple conditions. But he, Mike may have to wait for his second dose. Yeah. So you're going to be in limbo a little bit, possibly a little bit longer, if they agree that Joe Biden's new attempt uh, approach is better. The other big question that we have is, is, are we answering the right question? And the right question is, why, aren't, why isn't Mike getting his dose? And one of the answers is because there's not enough manufactured. But the other answer could be, 
because we don't have enough distribution. And mm -hmm. so even if Pfizer makes this all, and even if, you know, everything's wonderful, um, <laughs> uh, it, maybe we, we can't even get it to University of Michigan to give Mike his, his, his dose. And mm -hmm. so that's, and, and so here's what the, what it starts to look like over time, right? We, I, uh, my initial analysis was only for through April and May. Uh, but if you then take it forward a little bit longer, and this takes a lot of monocular simulation, and, and uh, this is work that I had done uh, out of the, out of the uh, DSmart group out of Deloitte, who actually, you know, um, when I do this, I, I break our computer systems. So um, <laughs> unless mm -hmm. I do it at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, and so uh, I had Deloitte run these and they, they did the models. Uh, and you can see um, that if you only have one dose, so the gray line in this particular case is, uh, is what happens if you have no vaccine. And you can see that what, what we are projecting is that we'll have a big hump. We'll, we'll go up to all. We, I mean, we'll go up to over forty five hundred deaths a day uh, toward uh, beginning of February. Oh boy! Yeah. And then we'll, we'll go down. It'll be, everyone will be happier. And, hey, we're our, you know everything's working well. But then the British variant's going to come across, <laughs> and we're going to have a, a scare. We're going to be working very hard. Joe's going to put all sorts. Joe Biden's going to put all sorts of new. You know, we're going to mandates in place. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, and it's going to start to work, and it's going to be great. And then it's not going to work, and everyone is going to panic, and we're going to say, "Oh my God!" Even though we aren't, we don't have any bars open, any restaurants open. No one's going to school. We got all these new. You know, everyone's wearing N95 masks. We're still not. We're still not stopping this darn thing, and it's going back up again. Um, and then the vaccines, hopefully, will kick in. And at that point, we go on a downward curve. We're going to have to leave it at that, Fred. Uh, uh, we will. We're already done with a half an hour. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we're done with a half an hour, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, next week, we'll talk about distribution. How does that sound? Because that's wonderful. the next big question. Well, we got the manufacturing solved, we think. Uh, so what's what, what, about, what about distribution? Can we distribute this stuff? And we'll go into that and say, how does that sound? Sure. And the other thing that I was curious about, maybe we yeah. could talk about, is I was watching something about the Israelis and uh, how they're, yeah. of course, it's a much smaller country, a much smaller population, but they've already got 25% of their population vaccinated. So maybe we could look at that. Yeah, and they ran out. They ran out, unfortunately. Well, we sure can go into that. I work I work with Israel also, so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about Israel tonight. Sure. All right. Well, thanks, Fred. Uh, I know Dave's going to have you on his show in a week, right, Dave? That's the game plan. Excellent. Ah. I'm ready. Well, well, hopefully. So, Dave, it took me two and a half hours to talk to the Harvard guys. I know your audience and our audience is much smarter, so they, they're, they're going to get it faster. But it took me a long time. <laughs> Normally, the Harvard guys would take an hour, and then you and I talk for six. Right. So, <laughs> extrapolating. We may be on it for all day. I don't know. <laughs> we'll plan accordingly. Beautiful. Okay. Look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you, Fred Brown, our, our U of M. Uh, well, actually, you're based here in Ann Arbor, but not with the U of M, uh, but you're but you're an epidemiologist nonetheless. Appreciate you being on the show today. Always very interesting when we uh, have our sessions. So we'll be back next week. We're going to have a special show. Fred will be back joining us on the Martin Luther King Day. Uh, but uh, he'll be anchoring the show in the second half. And in the first half, we have some guests that we're inviting, but I can't name them yet because they haven't confirmed. But we'll have a more of a Martin Luther King Day theme into that show. So I want to thank you all for joining us today on MI Tech TV. We'll be back again next Monday at 2 o'clock, and hopefully Matthew uh, will be joining us then. Until then, 
Have a great week. Thanks for listening to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Join your host.